0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 93 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today you're joining us for a topic that is so, so necessary if dealing with an autoimmune condition or inflammatory condition. We're talking all about getting back into remission. So today we'll be covering how and where to tighten up or ramp up your coverage and support when your body is in an active flare or even in pre-flare mode.
2: Yes, I am so excited about the content in today's episode because... The act of getting into a state of remission with your autoimmune disease is such a win. And when you start to find your groove with your food as medicine plan or your functional medicine interventions, and all of a sudden things start to unravel or you start to get these signs that imbalance is occurring, it's always important to know what can you ramp up and what can you put on deck for high coverage support to prevent a flare, Or if you find yourself in a flare, how do you get back into remission as quickly as possible? So I'm excited to share some tools that I personally use, some signs and symptoms that I use as bells and whistles of waking my body and mind up when I need to get into action mode and um, how you can get back on track with optimizing your health.
1: Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to giving our listeners some direct tools that we've used in clinic to manage and drive remission. But before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to just discuss for a moment how helpful it is when y'all leave us reviews on iTunes, and I also want to share a couple of awesome ones that we got. So when you guys leave us a five-star review with just a couple of sentences, it really, really helps our algorithms in iTunes to bump us up those lists and gets us more um, viewership and more listenership and more downloads. So exposure, <laughs> share is the message. word. Yes, sharing the message. Um, we love what we do. We love putting out this free content for you all, and we want it to reach as many people as possible so that we can help them if they are dealing with one of the many areas that we address on the podcast. So I'll read this one from I think it's Haley or Hale three. Um, I've learned so much about the body and nourishing our bodies with food and I am so grateful. I want to take good care of my growing family and this podcast is a perfect educational tool and source of encouragement as I learn to seek excellence in how I care for my little ones and my hubby. Moms with young babies, listen to this as you wash dishes, meal prep, or fold laundry. You will gain insight and practical tips on how to care for your loved ones through food, something we rely on every day, multiple times a day for energy and sustenance. It is well worth your time. That's amazing. Thank you, Julie.
2: I'll share one too. Uh, So I have one from peapie 77 and uh, the subject is useful info in every episode. Every episode I've listened to is filled with practical advice for healing your body and staying healthy. These ladies are an inspiration on how to make keto simple and possible on a daily basis. I don't just find opinions here. I find knowledge based on science and experience. So awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking the moment to share. And like Becky said, it really is the best way that we can get return on our investment is getting the message out wider. And, you know, as you know, we're very selective with sponsorship. We try to keep things as low ad as possible, but our time and investment is really important. And um, we've also seen really positive feedback from a lot of you podcast listeners that are starting to use some of the supplement tools recipe recommendations and direct tips that we provide you access to on the ally miller rd website and you're getting clinical outcomes without even the investment of a consultation so that's really the direct goal and i will say you know very clearly in today's episode i'm going to be making direct supplement recommendations and at the end of the day If you feel that you wanna find an alternative formula, you're more than welcome to go to my website, look at what I'm recommending, the dosage, and find something that works for you. But using the ones that I'm directly recommending are ones that I have seen in clinical practice, good, true outcomes, and experience both Becky and myself personally. Um, And so that's why we do give you direction versus just saying, take turmeric. We're gonna tell you specifically to take our super turmeric and the what's and the why's so we always hope that you see that in a positive light versus us telling you to just take something because we're really giving you an immediate tool to resolve a symptom and to manage a condition
1: sure and like Alex said these are things we've seen hundreds of clients be successful with so that's really the difference between the generic recommendation and uh, going for our supplements and, and those high quality third-party assessed supplements yes so- without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Um, I want to start off with just defining what an autoimmune disease is, Allie.
2: Yes. So it's really a broad or diverse group of disorders and they can involve almost every organ of the body, various systems of the body, and it can influence our neurological system, like in the case of MS or Parkinson's disease, Our gastrointestinal system, if we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. Our uh, endocrine systems, if we're talking about forms of like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or uh, type one diabetes would be an autoimmune disease of the endocrine system. And then we can see dermatological or skin conditions as well as other connective tissue issues, issues with eyes, blood, blood vessels, All of these can be seen impacted by autoimmune disease, and the underlying problem is an auto attack, essentially that the body is attacking itself. So our immune system, which is supposed to work as a surveillance system of the body to upregulate our natural defense system against a foreign invader, or against a bad bacteria, or virus, or a malformation in the cells, Unfortunately, with autoimmune disease, there is an error in that surveillance and the body starts to target its own tissues and upregulate inflammation and inflammatory processes will create organ dysfunction or even destruction. It can impact many different symptoms in our system. And when we're talking about in the medical field, often if you're kind of in what we call like a zebra world where you're not fitting a direct diagnosis, your general practitioner or your main doctor may run some general factors and then they may refer you off to a rheumatologist. Uh, That's usually the first line of defense specialist when we're talking about autoimmune disease. And two main Lab assessments that we look at are our ANA, which stands for anti nuclear antibodies, and a RF or rheumatoid factor. So these are two broad assessments that are going to tell us the ANA literally tells us if we have DNA spilling into our blood. So, you know, if your own body is attacking your system at a cellular level of destruction, you're going to see an increase of ANA. And that's a broad diagnosis that there is an autoimmune attack. And then, generally, a again GP would kind of refer you out, and you would maybe work with some specialist, a neurologist, a rheumatologist. Typically, again, first we'll start with a rheumatologist unless there's a direct GI issue, might be a gastroenterologist. But a uh, specialist in autoimmune disease will then run an immunofluorescence assay, an IFA, or there's other labs like. Uh, Quest and LabCorp that run different titers and basically these screen for particular autoantibodies and these titers and patterns are going to tell us, you know, the variances between things like Chogrin's or scleroderma, Crest syndrome, Raynaud's, lupus and, and the other types of pathologies.
1: Got it. So ANA is kind of a, a non-specific. There's some autoimmune activity going on. We don't know what tissue or what part of the body necessarily. And then the, the immunofluorescence um, would be more specific,
2: correct? Right. And, and and some labs don't do the immunofluorescence. That's a really particular test. Like I said, you could just do a titer or in a pattern, which are offered by like lab core requests. These are the two kind of big wigs in the American model of, of lab companies. And um, they'll do some titers. And that's where they'll try to find trends of, of kind of where you would go into what category of diagnosis. And, you know, it's really up to you. I talk about this in an episode... Um, when I talked about my own autoimmune history and, and I did I opted out of doing titers because I just felt like I know my body's attacking itself. Let's just stop the attack <laughs> versus go down the rabbit hole of 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 putting a code. I didn't feel like I needed to be quote unquote labeled per se.
1: Sure. So versus chasing the diagnosis, just get ahead of it and yeah. deal with the symptoms get you above water. Yeah. Uh, and that was episode seventy-seven. I'll make sure we link to that um, regarding the stress connection and your personal story with autoimmune disease. Okay, yeah. So let's talk about what an autoimmune flare actually is. So what would this look like? I know it's different depending on what condition we're talking about. Absolutely. Generally speaking, let's talk to what a, a flare would look like.
2: Right. So a flare generally is is what brings us to the diagnosis. <laughs> you know, so this is whatever symptom we're experiencing, increasing frequency or intensity, right? So if we're talking about a flare with a connective tissue disorder, this could be severity of joint pain. Let's say, you know, we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis. A flare could look like down to the level of loss of function in the joints, difficulty opening jars, shooting pain, swelling. Uh, If we're talking about with a GI condition, we could be having blood in the stool, we could be having cramping, bloating, a severity of, of GI distress, so a variance of, of output as far as severe diarrhea, loose stools, or even chronic constipation could be seen as a flare. Uh, looking at uh, in other connective tissue addresses dermatological flares. So, actually, seeing if we're talking about like psoriasis, getting patching and thickening and redness and irritation in the skin, uh, having lack of mobility with other connective concerns like scleroderma. Uh, insomnia could even be a flare, especially if we're talking about things like lupus or Sjogren's, where there's more non specific inflammatory trends, severity of dry eyes and mucosal membrane dysfunction. And then even to the level of beyond insomnia, mental influence, because when we're talking about inflammation, there can be a flare that can be experienced if we're having inflammatory action that crosses that brain-blood barrier, and all of a sudden now we're having severe depression or anxiety, that can actually be also the result of an autoimmune flare.
1: Awesome. And then let's talk about some of the drivers of a flare. So, what would bring this on? How would this maybe manifest, or even, you know, three months prior to seeing the actual flare, what might be going on for an individual?
2: So, it's generally stress. And, uh, you know, that's such a big piece of imbalance in the body, I I truly feel so strongly. And stress, remember, could be something as far as a mental or emotional stressor, like a job change, a divorce, a wedding. You know, it could be a positive stressor, but just driving too much over rumination, anticipatory distress. So stress shifts, we see this often driving flares. Uh, we see physiological stressors as well, driving flares. So this could be running a marathon. I've had a lot of people that do like the Crohn's or ulcerative colitis marathon, and they go actually into flare mode, unfortunately, following that big event because it's a physiological stressor. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, double down on your glutamine. Do these things if you're going to be stressing your body in your marathon training. I know that the funds go to ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, but you're throwing your body into physiological stress. So it's important to be mindful of stress on the emotional front, the physical front, and then also even on a physical side, looking at influence with microbiology, So whether that means dysbiosis or pathogenic bacteria exposure or a toxic stressor like exposure to flood water or mold or chemicals, these all are going to be stressors that are going to create the immune system to go into overdrive mode and it puts us into a reactive versus a regulatory impact on that HPA access and the feedback mechanism of cortisol gets blocked and our body just goes steam train into that autoimmune attack mode. And so that's, that's where then the managing practitioner, generally speaking, on a conventional model is going to be increasing the dosage of a steroid drug like prednisone potentially, uh, playing with maybe adding a different biologic or immunosuppressant and the concern is that many all of those categories of drugs have quite severe side effects and so we want to be mindful of as these flare-like symptoms come up how we can put out the flames without fanning them and uh with the least side effects as possible and and really try to sequester that fire in the body and even prevent it. it would be would be best of course
1: sure so really talking about you know in the conventional model, we're looking to shut down the immune system. In the yes. functional model, we're looking to support it and get the body to stop the attack on the self in the first place and really regulate the immune system. So and we don't to shut that
2: off. Exactly. And, and that's why, unfortunately, you know, we've mentioned this in other episodes, the immunosuppressant side effects often are cancer as a huge risk because we're shutting down that surveillance system and that's where then we can get dysplasia, irregular cell formation, tumor activity, and we've lost the army to combat that. Sure.
1: And I know we're going to talk much more about the immune side of things. Uh, But back in episode 77, as I mentioned, we talked a lot about your personal story. And I know stress was probably one of the biggest connections uh-huh. coupled with a vegan diet, which is a stressor in itself, I suppose, yeah. um, and then nutrient deficiency really drove your system into a flare. Um, so that covers a really important connection on, on why this can occur in the first place, but let's talk how stress can be a, actually a primary driver of the flare and just go back a little bit to that HPA access that we always talk about
2: so again you know this is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenals and this is our sympathetic nervous system it's the fight or flight response of our body and we ideally want to balance out that sympathetic nervous system with parasympathetic nervous system response so our parasympathetic system is what drives our function of our metabolism of our sexual hormone balance and reproductive health. Our parasympathetic is gonna play the greatest role in what we think of as rest and digest. So optimizing our digestive function, regulating our circadian rhythms. And when we're in high HPA access demand or fight or flight mode, as I mentioned, we go into what's called reactive versus regulatory function. So in regulatory function, which is optimal, The adrenals, which are the A of that HPA axis, the adrenals get stimulated by the hypothalamus and the pituitary to put out cortisol and DHEA as well as their neurotransmitter co-parts of adrenaline essentially. So epinephrine, norepinephrine, and dopamine, which is that feel good bliss factor in the brain. And in a regulatory mode, when cortisol is released from the adrenals, it gives a negative feedback to our hypothalamus and our pituitary. And the stimulating compounds that are released are our uh, CRF or our corticotropin releasing factor and our ACTH from the pituitary. And so when the cortisol in in a regulatory function is released, that breaks the release of CRF and ACTH. And so basically the hypothalamus says, okay, I don't have to keep stimulating the adrenals. The adrenals made cortisol. Cool. I can work on sleep. Cool. I can work on growth hormone. Cool. I can work on regulating thirst. And same in the pituitary. The pituitary gets that cortisol feedback and it says, all right, now I can help you know, Allie's body to put out progesterone. Now I can help her body to put out oxytocin and human connection and bliss. And now I can help her body to put out her thyroid stimulating hormones so we can regulate that metabolism optimally. That's how things are supposed to work. (laughs) In a reactive mode, what happens is that cortisol in high irregular amounts does not give that negative feedback, and so the hypothalamus and pituitary continue to shunt out those stimulators, the CRF and ACTH, and so the adrenals continue to be stimulated, and those other functions of metabolism, hormones, rest and digest all get shut down, and in this reactive mode in autoimmune disease, the immune system takes things a step further and starts to highly react inflammatory cascades of chemical release attacking its own body's tissue.
1: Got it. So let's talk about what happens just on a basic cellular level and, and within our own you know blood cells and blood chemistry to start.
2: Yeah. So I think the easiest marker we think of and, and kind of most clinically known is the influence of stress on our white blood cells. So acutely Uh, And and you'll see this is a trend throughout today's episode. There's acute or short-term hit, and then there's the chronic. and, And the body, I always say it kind of revs up, and then it gets burned out, right? So we see this with adrenal output. We see this with everything. White blood cell count, for instance, acutely under high stress gets elevated, And uh, so if the body is under stress, again, from a pathogen, if the body's battling something, it's going to upregulate the production of white blood cells as the army to really help to fight. And so we get an increase of leukocytes, we get an increase of T cells, and these help our body to fight antigens um, and really to try to eradicate or remove bacteria viral influence. Um, Over time, if we're dealing with chronic stress and we're in that reactive mode and not getting that regulatory balance of our system and in that high HPA axis demand, we start to see a depletion of our white blood cells. And this means that over time, we don't have the tools to fight against infection. We also don't have the tools to regulate food sensitivity. And so this is where over time, we start to get more reactivity to uh, common foods in the sense of uh, you know, sensitivity. And this ties to the next area, which is a shift in our secretory IgA. And so beyond the cells of our white blood cell count, which basically means our immunological army depleting with stress, we see a shift in our secretory IgA. And this is the, the main marker of leaky gut. This is what lines our mucosal membrane, so from our ear, nose, and throat all the way down to our colon. And again, we see acutely the body goes into high mode. So when we're testing saliva, um, we often will see someone having elevated secretory IgA that has also high adrenaline output because they're under chronic stress. If they have really severe adrenal fatigue, they're going to have low secretory IgA. And same thing we can see in the stool markers. Um, High is going to be seen immediately when the body's in battle mode, but then it gets depleted over time. And the lower the secretory IgA is, that corresponds with the level of severity of leaky gut, which means that more food particles than are desired are passing through that membrane. And the immune system is already in an overreactive mode. It's going to have a lot more food sensitivity and inflammation.
1: Okay. And that's just secretory IgA. I know there's other markers just in the gut that can be imbalanced by stress. And we talked about this a lot in the gut-brain connection episode. So I'll make sure that I link to that as well. Uh, but yes. let's talk about the, the gut bacteria influence.
2: Yes. So we know under chronic stress as well that we get a sterility factor. And we're starting to, I, I'm looking so much into this. It's really interesting because I think in the functional medicine world, We've focused so much on things like candida and dysbiosis. I'm now seeing so much in clinic when I'm running people's stool that there's actually a higher amount of individuals that are becoming sterilized in their biome because they've been doing maybe too much cleansing. Have Mm -hmm. you seen that? Yeah. (laughs) And it's actually, yeah, it's it's their depletion of secretory IgA that's driving the bloating because they're having osmotic or water reaction bloating, not yeast overgrowth or bacteria overgrowth. So I think that there's been a benefit of bringing to light you know, SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and candida in this functional realm. But if you're an individual that's already done two or three cleanses, I would definitely recommend you test your stool before doing a third or a fourth, uh, because you might be just driving sterility. And we can see an impact of no growth of the lactobacillus and the bifido strains being just as harmful to our immune system as having pathogenic overgrowth or, or dysbiosis, and um, we can really see that it's this chicken and egg relationship where stress sterilizes the good bacteria that makes us susceptible to bad bacteria overgrowth. But again, you don't want to maybe jump into an aggressive cleanse, which could be stressing for the system as well. Um, if you're looking at prioritizing, you know, the the, the mechanism there. Um, but definitely, gut bacteria shift is a big piece of the puzzle because we know our immune system is regulated by that GALT, that gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And so, if the gut bugs or the probiotics are off in the in the bowels, small and large intestine, then we're definitely going to be dealing with less immune regulation.
1: Okay. Awesome. I think that's super helpful. And then what about the inflammatory cascade shift that we see or this uh, inflammatory chemical warfare?
2: Yeah. So, you know, like I said, again, even like with cortisol in that reactive mode, cortisol over time starts to get depleted. We go into adrenal fatigue mode and cortisol has some natural anti-inflammatory support. So as that gets pooped, we start to see these cascades of chemical inflammatory warfare that really perpetuates this autoimmune attack and can drive inflammation both peripherally and centrally in our system. So we see things like cytokines, prostaglandins, chemokines, and these are the chemical warfare of inflammation that can increase directly just from stress, again, mental stress, emotional stress, or physical stress, and that perpetuates pain and disease process.
1: Okay, so basically we're coming to this point where our body is pooped out and worn down, and then we're getting more of that inflammatory process and uh, kind of no regulation of the immune system at the same time.
2: Right, so we don't have, I mean, kind of going from that whole story, We're lacking the cortisol to give the negative feedback to shut down the stimulation. So the body stays in this hypervigilant attack mode, yet we are driving more inflammatory cascades because the gut integrity is damaged. So we have more sensitivity, more antigens in the bloodstream for the immune system to be releasing inflammation on. And we don't have that regulatory cortisol to, to, to put out the inflammatory process. And we don't have the good gut bugs to support our immune cell fighters. Uh, so we really start to see acute gland and tissue destruction.
1: Okay. And In so many cases, this really comes back to just this dynamic hit of of stress and its effects on the body. And I think that's why your book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, is so, so necessary. Um, Let's jump in and address each focus of the immune system and how to get on top of this.
2: Yeah. So I think the first, like you mentioned, and, and that's why I'm so excited to get the book out there as a resource, is that you need to hit that Achilles heel of the body, which is how you mentally respond to your emotional and mental stress demands. So the first thing to hit is, of course, identifying and addressing what stressors you're experiencing and trying to alleviate them. So we talked in so many episodes about, um, you know, how to attack being overwhelmed or having too much to do, too much pending, right? So identifying the needs, compartmentalizing them, assigning dates and tasks, and then addressing in a methodical way can help to keep us from that paralysis of just feeling overwhelmed with so much to do. Um, and I know that we both resonate with that daily <laughs> with what we have going on in clinic and, and all of the moving pieces. Um, and so that's one thing that I like to do is to really compartmentalize and, and, and truly schedule in things that are getting done because then there's that sense of accomplishment which allows me to feel less stressed of what all the things I need to do. I'm in the action and doing mode. Uh, I also like to look as far as stress on meditation and mindfulness, uh, getting qualitative sleep at least eight hours a night, and then aiming for other methods of relaxation, whether we're proactive with massage, we're using our foam roller, we're doing oil pulling, and then movement is definitely key too. And I would not recommend, again, physiological distressing movement, which can only perpetuate that cycle, but gentle relaxation movement or uh, using movement that has elongation and stretching. Uh, We've talked a lot about our recommendations of exercise in episode 66, which is about over-exercising. But motion is lotion. And movement does help to lubricate the body. So I like functional movement, like hiking with my daughter or walking the stroller up to the park, stretching before bed. Uh, And this is all things that help to keep the body in a less inflamed state and circulate those chemicals that help to drive more of that parasympathetic rest, digest, reproduce, metabolize mode of, okay, getting back into regulatory out of that reactive. Um, any tips you have, Becky, on lifestyle elements for stress that I haven't gone into? Oh gosh, you hit my
1: big ones of movement for sure. And, and yeah, I have to say on that... Um especially, you know, someone like me, who's more of a a low adrenal output in general. um, It can feel really good to go and do like a high intensity or a spin class or something. And you get that temporary bump of cortisol. Um, But then you're getting kind of that, that cascade that much lower on the other end of things that much more burnt out. So stay away from that stuff for sure. Even if it's like, oh, I like to do that to clear my head let's find something else. Um, getting in the kitchen is always something for me, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, gives me purpose and keeps my hands busy. So I'm like, mm-hmm. let me just try a new recipe, even though it, I don't want to be creative or, um, <laughs> can't seem like I can find the time. It's often one of those little things. It's like, let me control what I can control. And it feels fun and creative. And then I'm taking care of my body and, and, you know, making a delicious recipe for my family. And
2: and bring something into fruition. You know, there's something about that, going through the steps and manifesting something, right? So it's like, this is the end product and this is what it does. And this is what it serves. Literally, even to the simplicity of folding laundry, (laughs) I had Stella's clothes on the couch for, I think, seven days. It was really embarrassing. And I, last night, uh, made myself a cup of tea and I was like, you know what? I am going to zen out and enjoy the shit out of folding her laundry. Like I just committed to it. I was like, I am going to love this. This is going to be awesome. And I think that sometimes getting into the mindset and mantra of, you know, I am completing tasks. I am, I am doing it. There's nothing that needs to be done. I am in the action mode. I am, you know, and um, whatever that is, I I like to use a mantra as far as I drive the charge, I will ride the waves, uh, as far as like the intensity and variances within my work demands and whatnot. Um, But whatever mantra, I think mantras and mindset and surrendering to the flow (laughs) versus fighting the the waves of of what you need to do, that could be seen with grocery shopping, cooking, any of these things that can be seen mundane, washing dishes, um, they can all become a very Zen activity. And I know some of you are like laughing and like, where's the fast forward button? But no, truly, they can become a very Zen activity if you get into the mind space of I am.
1: That's cleaning my out a closet or <laughs> tackling that one nagging task is like, yes. can be so amazing. Like Changing a light bulb that's been out for <laughs> yes. a month or something like that.
2: Yeah. A sign <laughs> and action. Yes. yes. So beyond all of these wonderful things and breathing, I will say breathing. We talk about in so many episodes, finding your breath and the importance of that. And, and deep breathing has actually been shown in clinical research to help to influence immediately the vagus nerve, which runs from the brain stem down to the colon and will flip you into parasympathetic mode. So if anything, just harnessing and getting into a intentional breath that gets you into deep belly breathing or practices that four, seven, eight of in for four, hold for seven, whoosh out for eight. Doing five to 10 cycles of that can be enough to to shift your circadian rhythm. So pretty awesome there. So all of those things, and then on top of it, Um, I definitely always am a huge proponent of where can I focus on resilience and recovery for my body and support it on a supplemental level. So the three formulas that I would go to here would be our relax and regulate first and foremost, actually, because it uses that magnesium bisglycinate. So this is far superior to like the Calm Mag that you'll see at your grocery store, which uses water-soluble magnesium. Relax and regulate... And these are all from our line, of course. As I said in the beginning of this episode, um, this has magnesium bisglycinate, and it's a neuromuscular relaxer, and has been shown in research to help to metabolize cortisol. So it's going to immediately help with that feedback mechanism that isn't being heard. Help to reduce too much cortisol. Help to support too little cortisol. And the inositol in that formula helps with depth of sleep and hormone regulation, as well as insulin sensitivity. So pretty. Phenomenal foundational formula that can help with blood sugar regulation, hormonal regulation, depth of sleep, as well as neuromuscular relaxation and bowel regularity. And then the cortisol hit. The other two go-tos that I go for are going to be the Calm and Clear and Adaptogen Boost. So Calm and Clear is a very good foundational formula that you can start with three to six capsules of a day. It has a blend of nervines and Adaptogens. So nervines are more calming or uh, somewhat sedative and relaxing. And then adaptogens help us to adapt to stress demand. And so this has a blend of things like ashwagandha, and um, it also has things like oat pod in there as a calming agent and chamomile. It has L-theanine, which is going to regulate those alpha brainwave patterns, and then a blend of methylated B vitamins, which help as cofactors for our neurotransmitters.
1: Awesome. And then the adaptogen boost was the third one that you mentioned. That would be the Panax ginseng and uh, cordyceps mushroom and rhodiolosa, more of a a stress resilience formula, I suppose, to aid with the stress-related fatigue and prevention of that burnout in the first
2: place. Yes, and that one has really phenomenal effects on supporting the thyroid gland. So yes. we see the cordyceps and rhodiola and ginseng as a triad to really be like bubble wrap for an autoimmune reaction from stress. So, like you said, yeah, that's more of the for stress-induced fatigue and preventing kind of as like a bubble wrap protection for the body. So that's one that we can kind of pulse up when we have higher demand, somewhere between two to four a day. And the Calm and Clear is a really good one on a day-to-day basis that influences beyond our immunological and inflammatory processes, more of the mental uh, stress demand, racing thoughts, uh, anxiety, and, and anticipatory distress patterns.
1: Sure, or if you've got 100 emails to get through, three of those will do wonders. Yeah,
2: It, it really. <laughs> I, I really recognize a big support in multitasking and task organization and completion uh, with use of that formula. So it is it is a best friend. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. And um, let's talk about uh, Becky, some of your go-to adaptogen foods.
1: So I usually do maca as a food food. Um, This is a big one that I'll put in either um, smoothies or like a a coffee and cacao shake. Um, And maca is going to support progesterone production. That's again, another big one that can take a hit under high stress. Um, and just generally, if you know, you, you, tend toward low progesterone, um, that can be super helpful and just aid with that energy and, and resilience as well. Um, what else have I been using? I do ashwagandha. It doesn't taste that delicious to be honest. I don't know if you found, um, but That's like that I like cool, in the
2: calm and clear.
1: Yeah. In the calm and clear, um, that pearl butter line that I think you posted recently on, um, Instagram or Facebook, Um, there's a line called Pearl Butter, and I'll link to it in our show notes today, Um, and they make these adaptogenic coconut butter blends that are something amazing you could add to a smoothie or just eat right off the spoon, Um, and they have one that I think is turmeric and ashwagandha that I actually really like.
2: Yeah, I keep it on my desk actually looking at it right now. It's uh, turmeric, it's raw coconut, organic turmeric, organic ashwagandha, and black pepper, and because I'm lazy, one thing that I'm not very good at making is fat bombs. But what I do is I just eat this with a spoon as a fat bomb. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. all done, <laughs> uh, and so and that's why I also love the F bomb packs for that reason. Uh, but yes, yeah, so this is something I keep on my desk as a midday adaptogen fat bomb that I just take a spoon of, and I, I love that that line and that option. And then I'm a big fan of tulsi tea. So this is holy basil. It's uh, a adaptogen in itself. It's really fantastic iced. I love to do Tulsi tea with some sliced uh, strawberries at like a three o'clock pick me up uh, or warm in the colder months. And um, it's a really good, it's, it's caffeine free, so you can do it into the evening, but it really does help with that stress resilience and support for the system. And then the last thing I mentioned that is kind of a food uh, would be, or, or I guess it's a supplement slash food would be CBD. Yeah, and, that was my other one. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So I I add CBD to all of my coffee now, and I notice a big difference if I'm out of town and I, I maybe or maybe I just ran an errand and I got a coffee somewhere and didn't add it, uh, didn't have it in my purse. Um, but I I'm totally gonna give you my recipe. I've been doing a lavender CBD cold brew, and we're gonna put it on the blog. And um, it really does help to reduce CBD is a component of uh, cannabis, it's cannabidiol, and it helps with neurological impact and reduction of inflammation, and it helps as adaptogenic function in the body to reduce excessive excitatory output and regenerate deficient output. So it's a fantastic tool. I use that in my um, coffee because it blunts the impact of that caffeine driving epinephrine. And then I also use a little bit in the evening to help with depth of, uh, and quality of sleep. So I do put that like in smoothies and things like that. So I kind of consider it a food ish. (laughs) Definitely. And
1: then, um, the select CBD line, which I'll make sure we link to also contains adaptogens within their teachers. So like the peppermint I think has ashwagandha. It does.
2: Mm -hmm. uh, Which makes ashwagandha taste amazing actually. Yes.
1: Yeah. You don't notice it in there. Um, the lavender for sleep one, I think has maybe passion
2: flower added to it. It definitely has passion flower and it might even have valerian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome
1: stuff. I'll make sure we link to our favorite formulas in our show notes. Great. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, um, supporting cellular health and white blood cell function and immune regulation.
2: Sure. So, you have to first start with, of course, a foundational micronutrient support. And this starts with eating real food and getting good biodiversity in the diet. So, Protein has been shown in studies to be a big component of optimized immune function. And uh, we see in, for instance, cancer research studies, when we go into cachexia and wasting um, and we start to lose muscle mass, this is what really accelerates disease process. So consumption of about 8 to 10 ounces of protein a day as a minimum would be a recommendation. So this is like at least two biological protein serving sizes. And um, with that said, I also would like to call out the fact that, remember, the ketogenic diet is muscle sparing. So if you're using fat as fuel or eating keto, you're already going to be preserving the protein and muscle mass within the structure of your body and prevent that wasting. So that's huge as well. And, And that would be a supporter or a preserver of of, of the immunological protein connection. So consumption of protein and retaining the protein you have um, as far as preserving muscle mass with keto would be huge. And then I look beyond getting eight to 10 ounces, and you could be going more, but I'm just saying a general recommendation as a minimum. Um, I would look at two to three cups of greens daily as well. To get a good web of your minerals and antioxidants and phyto compounds, and then four to five colors of produce daily on top of that. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit, Becky, about your recent awareness of your plant oh, yeah. diversity in the diet? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: uh, so back, I guess it was the, our last episode, yeah. uh, uh-huh. episode 92 with Steven Chernisky. We talked all about DHEA and I had asked him just kind of generally speaking, okay, how do we support you know production of this hormone precursor through diet? And he's like, well, biggest thing is plant diversity and just diversity of the diet in general. And was uh, saying that he had recently read a study uh, looking at just average consumption of, I believe, species of
2: yes. plants or,
1: or um, species of, of different plant-based foods. And uh, it stated that the average person only consumes 11 different types of plants on a weekly basis. I was like, I can do better
2: than that. Yeah. Um,
1: but I just kind of challenged myself over a couple of
2: 11 days. on a week, you guys. 11 in a
1: week. <laughs> Which, like, I'm counting things like, you know, coffee based from a plant. That is, yeah. yeah. (laughs) uh, Matcha and chocolate and wine and all of these things. Raspberries, kale. Right there. (laughs) Um, But so I kind of challenged myself to keep the towel. And I only did it for about two days. Um, And one of those days was a, a modified fasting day. I fasted, like, most of the morning and into the afternoon with just some bone broth and ghee. So really, it was like my... Evening meal where I had 24, I think I posted about um, 24 different, you know, I didn't eat full servings, but 24 different species of plants. So it was like zucchini and avocado and some microgreens on top. And yes, it might have just been a few pieces, but like we could totally do a blog or a challenge on this because
2: I think we for sure it. will.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what a, a week would have looked like because I only really did it for like two days, but... <laughs> right, right. Like, I can do better than
2: 11. We'll definitely do that. So so getting, I think, four to five colors is another way of doing this. And again, you're just going to get more biodiversity in the body and a lot of those phyto compounds, which we're big fans of to support immunological function, um, beyond the fact that protein and, and healthy fats are are essential as well. And now it's important to note if you're not feeling well, and you're in a pre-flare, like let's say you're dealing with a lot of inflammation, you're dealing with migraines, you're dealing with GI distress, you may consider smoothies as a fantastic vehicle for this um, because you can throw a lot of compounds into one. You can use our grass-fed whey protein powder to get you know at least three of those, three to four of those ounces of protein. You can, and that's going to have much more immunological support over something like collagen because you actually get immunoglobulins in the grass fed non-denatured way. So that would be something I'd highly recommend. Uh, You can also add greens to that. You can add coconut oil and other healthy fats. You can get at least 10 species in a smoothie for sure. (laughs) And then get kind of those baseline defenders and it's pre-digested in some sense. So that's going to be very helpful. And if you're not feeling well, I would dumb it down to maybe focusing on like one meal and then one or two snacks in a smoothie. So you have structure You know you can kind of check things off and you can give your body the support it needs. And another thing to consider is looking at upping your digestive enzymes during a time of a pre-flare because, again, if you're in fight-or-flight mode, you're not going to have optimized digestive function. So you're not going to have optimal production of enzymes. You're going to have slower bowel motility or rapid bowel motility. So really supporting your GI by uh, taking more digestive enzyme. I like to do our digestate at like four to six when I'm in a pre-flare mode because I just know that my enzyme production is suppressed. So this is going to help to ensure you absorb and use the nutrients that you're consuming, which is, of course, super important and I'm also
1: thinking, I'm sure we'll get to bone broth here, but doing like bone broth-based soups or like um, pureed veggies, and I would say aiming for um, cooked vegetables versus raw, just a little bit easier Absolutely. on digestion, less lectin influence,
2: um, Yeah. So you know, you're
1: not. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no. I was just going <laughs> to say, yeah, I mean, you're already removing the lectins from the diet by following more of an autoimmune-like mm-hmm. diet by keeping grains and beans out, right? Those are higher in lectin, especially gluten being one of the highest, but all vegetables have some level of lectins. And so definitely I would steer away from raw juices. I would steer away from raw salads Um, and I would do much more cooked, roasted, sauteed. That's gonna reduce some of that lectin influence as well as again, taking the enzyme. So really important to consider.
1: Awesome, and then what about just kind of baseline immune support?
2: So I can't tell you how many people, you know, we run like a micronutrient test on in clinic and it's a great panel. I love running it. It looks at 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. And we look at depletion patterns. And I can't tell you how many people run this panel and aren't taking um, a multivitamin. (laughs) Like, like, first, start with your foundational support and get a good quality multivitamin. So I recommend our multi-defense. It has methylfolate methylcobalamin has your methylated B vitamins, it has zinc, it has selenium, it has phytocompounds, so you're gonna get a good blend of food-based antioxidants, biologically available minerals, immunological supporters, and methylated Bs, which help to regulate that stress access. So start with good quality multivitamin to use as your insurance policy always, and then yes, the food is of course important, but but multivitamin is really important. And this is the only supplement that I wouldn't necessarily double down on unless you know that there's a known deficiency pattern. Like maybe you need more zinc, then you could add a zinc to your protocol. Um, but if you're only taking like a half, a lot of multivitamins out there, like by Thorne and other good quality companies, will be six capsules a day <laughs> to get your daily need. You know, our multi defense is two a day, um, and so what's really important is that you're getting at least the full coverage of the full dosage, especially at time of flare, if you do take maybe half the amount and then try to use food to, to maintain. Um, you definitely would be wanting full coverage support with your multivitamin. Sure.
1: That's so true. Like I see so many clients all the time who've put themselves on individual formulas of so and selenium and this and that, and it's like that Doctor Oz effect of all the supplements because told you it was good, but they're not on a comprehensive multi. So it's like yeah. you could probably eliminate you know these ten formulas and save yourself the trouble just by taking one good quality multi.
2: Totally, totally. And, and the other one I've seen as a common trend is also the omega-3 status. So, you know, we really are, have seen such an increase of that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio as we've moved away from this hunter-gatherer type ancestral diet. And in industrialized society, especially individuals that are eating corn, soy, gluten, those are going to have high amounts of that arachidonic acid and those omega-6 fatty acids that are much more inflammatory. And we're just not eating enough wild fatty fish to get that support of our omega-3 balance. So one recommendation is absolutely upping your intake of fatty fish to three times a week and um you know this is going to be salmon mackerel even um, incorporating things like the skipjack tuna we have some great recipes on the blog for that Um, this is going to help our omega-3 status as we get that optimized this actually supports the immune system by increasing our phagocytes which are types of white blood cells that actually have phagocytotic properties or the ability to, like a Pac-Man, eat away at bad bacteria in the system. So that, in a sense, is going to reduce stress because, remember, bacteria imbalance drives stress access imbalance. So having the omega-3s to both reduce inflammation, which can help with the pain and the actual flare mechanisms, which are driven by inflammation, is huge. And then um, optimizing that to help with our bacterial and viral activity is important as well. So I do recommend, because of the big influence and because of what we've seen in clinical studies on the importance of omega-3 status, with autoimmune disease. I do recommend a good quality fish oil on top of the three times a day, excuse me, three times a week (laughs) of an omega-3 rich food. So um, our EPA DHA Extra A baseline use is one twice daily. So this is my first recommendation at time of flare. Um, Those stress supplements I mentioned earlier, you could pulse some of those, like the adaptogens we mentioned and the Calm and Clear upwards of even nine of the Calm and Clear. Um, and you could up the relax and regulate. But EPA DHA extra is the first one that I'd really pulse during times of a flare. So, you know, taking one at breakfast, one at bed, or one at dinner, two a day as a baseline, and then upwards of four to six during times of pre-flare or flare. Um, we do want to be mindful that omega-3s have blood thinning effects. So after two weeks of that high four to six a day, you might wanna bring it back down, but that really can help to sequester inflammatory chemical release and reduce that inflammatory process.
1: Okay, awesome. So that's all really good support for inflammatory mechanisms of autoimmune disease. Um, and I know there's probably lots more, but let's, talk, um, let's circle back to secretory IgA, the microbiome, and talk about supporting the gut through an autoimmune flare. So what suggestions, we already talked about the digest aid, uh, but what else have you got on the gut piece of the puzzle?
2: So like I said, what's interesting is, often individuals start to have bloating, and we think of that as potentially, oh, I have to do a cleanse, or something's going off, There's, there's fermentation or excess. But often with autoimmune disease, or chronic stress imbalance, that bloating is based more on osmotic reaction from leaky gut. So what I mean by osmotic reaction is I mean that the secretory IgA drops so low because you don't have ample gut lining support that everything you eat, the immune system says, oh my gosh, what's this? Call the alarms. And it fires inflammation and it throws water. Just like if you bump your elbow on a table, you're going to get that swelling in that area to prevent the mechanism of that injury to spread. So the first line of defense I would have is our GI lining powder. And um, I generally recommend that as one scoop at bed as a baseline use. So for individuals that are going through particular protocols of gut restoration or have autoimmune disease, great tool on a daily level in the evening. But that can be pulsed up to three to four scoops a day. So like two at rise, two at rest. Um, would be a really good approach here. And then like you said, absolutely taking those enzymes reduces the size of the particles so that they're less abrasive or less hyperreactive in our system. So the digested enzyme could be pulsed up as well as that GI lining powder. And then along those lines, we would think of doing the foods that support our gut lining, like upping our bone broth, adding in gelatin. And it is important if you're not getting good outcomes and you're doing bone broth and gelatin, and you have autoimmune disease, you may need to get deeper into the rabbit hole and run an MRT test, because this looks at the 170 foods and chemicals and what is driving that inflammatory warfare in your system Specific to your body, so you may be doing chicken bone broth and find out that chicken is red, ah, and so you know you're maybe not getting that anti-inflammatory support if your immune system is perceiving one of those compounds as a antigen that that provokes battle, if you will.
1: Sure. We always say someone's superfood can be somebody else's kryptonite, so it might even be turmeric that you're taking totally. in high high doses. Um, turns out to be an inflammatory food at the moment for your individual body.
2: Yep. Yep. So the, the, beyond lining the gut, which is definitely absolutely essential. Then we want to look at also, yes, probiotic foods. So, Adding probiotics first, like I said, often it's actually sterility over intolerance. So, you know, when we're talking about uh, probiotic benefits, there was actually a study done by German researchers uh, that was published in Clinical Nutrition, and they gave half of, they split 500 population of adults, and they gave half of them probiotics for three months and half of them a placebo. And those that had the probiotics had fewer cases of cold and uh, flu symptoms, less itchy throat, stuffy nose, body aches, uh, minor headaches, as well as um, more regulated and improved white blood cell count. So there is a direct impact of getting that good gut bacteria. So adding probiotic supplement like our spectrum, which is wide spectrum, and the targeted strength um, on a time of a flare, I would bring in both of those to get the good antifungal and full spectrum coverage as well as that higher dose targeted strength. Um, which is going to be 60 billion of the 50 50 blend of lactobifido. And for 30 days, I would double down on maybe two of the targeted strains one at rise, one at bed, and one of the spectrum uh, to really give that reproliferation.
1: Yeah, and then just for balanced state ongoing, we usually recommend our uh, 15 billion. Baseline probiotic, um, and you know you may need to work kind of up to that um, 60 plus billion a day. Um, and if you want to check in on where you're at in terms of a uh, dysbiotic or uh, yeast influence, if you've had intolerance of probiotics in the past, you might want to consider doing our probiotic challenge that we've spoken to um, in the podcast before, and I'll link to that in the show notes today. But starting with a baseline of one of those 15 billion capsules and then working your way up to 60 billion after several days.
2: Yep. So we'll link that as a blog and it has true instructions of how you could do a probiotic challenge. And if you fail it, if as you increase the probiotic colonies, you get more of a flare, then you probably are a candidate that does need to do a cleanse of sorts. But if you improve with the increase, then yes, you might go from that baseline restore probiotic of 15 billion if you're taking two targeted strength in one spectrum, now you just went up at 60 billion each, so 120 plus 30, 150 billion, so a 10-time increase of colony-forming units, and that may be appropriate for someone dealing with a flare. Again, it's something that you're pulsing for a period of time, like 15 to 30 days, and then can bring back likely down to that 60 billion or even down to the 15 billion, depending on what your body needs
1: awesome and then we already talked about the epa dha being able to pulse that one up to the four to six a day for two to three weeks um but i think i know what else you might add as uh, a general anti-inflammatory support
2: yeah and i alluded to it already <laughs> so i'm a huge 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 fan of turmeric and um i have just seen in so many clinical studies um there was just recently one that looked at curcuminoids and their ability, that's the active compound in turmeric, its ability to down-regulate the mediators that are characteristic of rheumatoid arthritis, its ability to reduce activity in Crohn's, its ability to reduce activity in multiple sclerosis. Um, And we see that the impact is by by the curcuminoids' ability to block our interleukin signaling, specifically interleukin-12, and help to modulate our T-cells or immunological cells. And this is what helps our T helper cell mediated inflammatory impacts. So when we're talking about a lot of these new drugs, they're looking at these exact same biomarkers and how they can modulate. Um, But the awesome thing is when you use something like curcuminoid, you can boost your natural killer cell activity while you reduce inflammation, while you support your body's ability to fight infections. And that would be three different drugs. All in one, in, in something that's naturally occurring and supports your liver and supports your immune system. Um, so, I, I'm just kind of over the moon about a bioactive form of curcuminoids, and that's one that just tends to be a home run in clinic. That people will be like, Holy cow, I've been taking prescription NSAIDs for years, and you know, my Aleve or my prescription ibuprofen or my Celebrex um, and all these different categories of. NSAIDs or even steroids. Um, so maybe not an NSAID, maybe an actual steroid that they've been on chronic dosages of to manage their inflammatory autoimmune disease. And we can see as clinical of outcomes with the super supplement. So really awesome and um, doesn't have that GI impact of an NSAID drug. And even when we're comparing it to like aspirin, it has a better cardiovascular safety profile because it doesn't inhibit the arterial protective factor, um, which is prosti- prost- um, which is something that's a negative impact of, of long-term baby aspirin use as well. So pretty cool stuff.
1: So awesome. And then, you know, beyond doing turmeric as a food, which we definitely have some suggestions on the blog, um, our turmeric Latte, Um, we have a great turmeric lemonade. I love doing bone broth with turmeric, um, like the golden bone broth in our Naturally Nourished Cookbook, our curry roasted whole cauliflower, literally adding to everything. Uh, But we really would want to get a baseline dose of our super turmeric as well.
2: Yep, so a base dosage of that could be like anywhere between one to three a day. So, base, I, I generally stick to one or two uh, on a base. And then when I'm looking at flare symptoms, like I get um, really dynamic loss of circulation, um, I have loss of function, or I'm having a difficult time opening jars, or I notice severe bloating and whatnot, um, going up to about four to six for a period of time can be a pulsed use. Um, So even when I'm menstruating, my first two days of my cycle that are really crampy, I'll up that to four, um, sometimes even five if it's a pretty severe day where I'm dealing with a lot of clots with my endometriosis. Um, And so four to six is a high pulse day. I use that when I'm weaning someone off of a steroid. So if they're on prednisone, remember a steroid is like a dam. So it's withholding inflammatory chemicals. As you wean off that steroid, bringing in the super turmeric can help to make a more gentle slope versus a a dynamic drop. And um, it's it's definitely a very powerful tool. And like I said, it it impacts the COX-1 and COX-2 inhibition, just like an NSAID, but without the side effects of gut destruction. And just a little PSA on particularly super turmeric, over other ones that are out there is that it is one full gram or a 1,000 milligrams per gel capsule. And it has been shown in third-party research um, to increase the tetrahydrocurcumin as well as the active curcumin um, in the form of the demoxycurcumin and the bisdemoxycurcumin in blood plasma. So when we're looking at the three bioactive compounds, they've all been seen as major metabolites That have the dynamic anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. And when it was compared to a reference product at also that same one gram or thousand milligram dosage, the super turmeric elevated a several fold higher absorption and the plasma levels of the tetrahydrocurcumin were 30 times higher. I generally say that it's four to six times higher in potency, but even some of the compounds have been shown upwards of 30. So when you're comparing a dosage of one gram to one gram, it's about the way it's encapsulated for its bioavailability. And this mixes turmeric oil with dried turmeric curcumin powder, which helps that bioavailability without the gut irritant of black pepper, which is often added to a lot of uh, good quality products out there as well. Yes, so
1: not your Costco variety, tumor for sure.
2: <laughs> or even Whole Foods, or even yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yes.
1: Sorry, guys. <laughs>
2: yes. And then, final uh, supplement I'll just call to action real quick is um, Inflamazine. And that's another one we have in our line that does have curcuminoids in those three forms, but it also has what are called proteolytic enzymes, which help with tissue inflammation. So, specifically, if you're dealing with tissue inflammation like scleroderma or crest or rheumatoid arthritis, Um, this is really going to help with the inflammatory processes on connective tissue. And um, it also has things like Boswellia. It has uh, compounds like resveratrol in there and um, also is going to have uh, other botanicals like quercetin and rutin, which have been shown to have anti-inflammatory effects. So another good tool that can be pulsed and used as needed, can be used post-op. I like to use Inflamazyme after uh, birth uh, for individuals and also for individuals dealing with infertility if they have inflammation in the uterine area because it can help to break down fibroids. So really cool tool for fibroids, tissue repair and recovery. Um, I use it with like football players too.
1: Awesome. Love that. Um, And beyond therapeutic foods and supplements that we've talked about today's and just intake for produce and protein, let's just speak a little bit about modified fasting and how we might use something like a bone broth fast during an active flare.
2: Okay. So I think that's a great point as well. So depending on the condition and the stress itself, um, we do know that intermittent fasting and fasting in general can be very supportive because it can help to drive that autophagy or autophagy, um, that cellular regeneration and recycling mechanism of the body. We know that fasting can reduce insulin. It can reduce body fat, uh, which body fat itself has inflammatory processes. And fasting can reduce cytokines, prostaglandins, and other inflammatory mediators. So, there's definitely protective benefits of fasting. And a 16 8 would be a great approach as far as keeping your food intake to an 8 hour window. Um, So, fasting from like 8 p.m. until noon um, would be very helpful. And you may even consider, based on the level of your flair, doing like a bone broth fast. Um, So, this might be one meal with just one meal daily with just bone broth in between. Or you might do like a three to five day full on bone broth fast. And I think that we probably need an entire episode on this. (laughs) I know we're going to get a lot of questions, but very briefly what this could look like. And we will, maybe we'll put this in a a blog, Becky and link it. Um, So generally when I'm recommending a bone broth fast or doing one myself, it's about two to three quarts of bone broth a day. Um, A minimum of four tablespoons of pure fat, upwards of six to eight, depending on if you are at a low body weight need to maintain. Um, And so like two tablespoons of ghee, uh, which can be blended into the bone broth, just eaten in a fat bomb or added to tea. Um, Same with coconut oil in bone broth or tea. No coffee or espresso, allowing green tea and uh, rooibos tea for the antioxidant capacity. And then keeping out dairy. And then for some individuals, I might do only red meat and fish because they tend to be less inflammatory over like our poultry and such, and um, consuming the broth in maybe five servings or something distributed throughout the day. And again, they might do one meal with adding fish or meat on the side or you know having that as a meal. Um, but generally, we'd keep vegetables out for that three to five days as well. Again, just kind of a little bit less GI distress. And then, you know, over time of that five-day period, um, we would start to kind of on that fifth day, add in an avocado in addition to that, maybe some cooked down shredded cabbage to get more of that glutamine um, and start to introduce some roughage and enzyme support and work the body into a little bit of a chew. Um, But that can definitely help to cool out inflammation and reduce that digestive distress so immunological activity can be accelerated.
1: Awesome. Yes, that's something my husband and I do probably quarterly as kind of our, it's our new (laughs) detox. Um, We'll do a a three-day, you know, a long weekend um, bone broth fast. And we've both seen really good benefits in terms of body comp shifts and just kind of reining things in after excessive social, you know, consumption and things like (laughs) that. Just kind of a really good reset. In fact, I think we're due for one soon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it depends on again, right. So if you're doing this for wellness, you might then consider using our 10 day detox supplement packs during that period. Or if you're doing this during a flare, that's when you'd be ramping up on the EPA, DHA extra, the turmeric. So it'd be kind of depending on what you're using it for. And that's why we'll do a whole episode on bone broth fast. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: Um, so I'll make sure that I add all of the supplement recommendations that we've talked about today, um, as well as um, how they can be increased during time of player, just so you guys have that for reference beyond what's just um, in the shop on our website. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely make sure that we do a blog and future episode on the bone broth modified fast for sure. Um, Any other additional notes on the bone broth fasting or when this wouldn't be a good thing
2: for you? I mean, a big thing is absolutely just ensuring you get optimized with electrolytes. So, um, you know, using Himalayan salt quite liberally, at least two teaspoons a day. Um, and just being mindful of where you are with your progression and what the fleral looks like and how your body responds to it. But definitely for like the inflammatory bowel disease population, that's an awesome thing to do. Most neurological conditions, this is a positive thing to do. Um, but you know, if, if you are someone that is uh, higher rigidity type A, we don't want to really necessarily encourage calorie restriction because that could drive malnourishment and distress to the system. So being mindful of kind of where you fit most emotionally mentally within a, a bone broth fast of how that would work to drive remission? And, and does that mellow you out or does that drive more insomnia? Because some people make a lot of ketones when they're fasting and then in and, and too high amounts. Remember, some things are wonderful in optimal levels, but not excessive levels. And so if you make too many ketones, that can then drive insomnia and work against your system as well. And that will actually have some insulin effects.
1: That makes total sense, and we don't want to um, drive that kind of neurotic tendency in those who are already burned out and dealing with stress. Yeah. Um, so, I think the biggest uh, takeaway probably from today's episode is just that need for a slow down yes. um, and addressing stress as the root cause.
2: Absolutely. And you know, so giving your body that supplemental support on the front on the bubble wrap, like I said, to help you to mellow on your reactivity, especially to mental, emotional stress, really being proactive in lining and supporting that gut integrity when you know you're under mental and emotional stress. Because remember, even social anxiety can make Swiss cheese in your gut lining. So be mindful that stress itself drills holes in your gut. So double down on gut support under stress. And definitely make sure that you're taking good quality probiotic, that you may want to pulse that probiotic and your anti-inflammatory tools um, to really support your, your system throughout the process.
1: Awesome. It's just so empowering, I think, for our listeners to be able to hear the actual tools that we use in clinics. So this is like what I would discuss with an actual real life client. Right.
2: Dosage, and, um, and we- <laughs> this product. Yes, yes exactly.
1: Um, And we've used this in clinic for now thousands of clients to yield really good outcomes, promoting remission, medication reductions, and ultimately management of autoimmune disease. So as a reminder, you can find all of the formulas we talked about at AllieMillerRD.com. And as always, you can be confident you're getting something that is going to be potent and pure and safe and effective and widely used with really good outcomes.
2: Yep. so as always, anytime you buy any product, you are supporting either a large company or a small company and you're voting with your dollar. So, you know, you can use my site. I I, I don't wanna hear a review that we're pushing supplements because we're pushing solutions. And there's a big difference there. And um, as always, like I said, I am first to say, if you wanna use my site and supplement shop to look at what I recommend and compare, that is something you can use to empower yourself in many ways as well. Um, So the intention is to give you what you can use to get out of the muck and heal your body in the most accelerated outcomes possible. And my passion is to share with you actual solutions to your wellness pitfalls and how you can manage your condition with formulas that have proven results.
1: Awesome. So as always, we're so grateful to have you all on this journey with us. We appreciate your support of all things Naturally Nourished and Allie Miller RD. Um, Definitely head on over and check out all the things, including our blog loaded with more free goodies and recipes, um, as well as all of our archived podcasts and our shop. Thanks for listening and be sure to social share and tag out Allie Miller RD as you experience food as medicine in your body.
2: Enjoy mellowing out and riding the waves until you get
0: there. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Ally and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.